Stand by. Stand by. You have entered a locked orbit with Precinct Omega. Your data has been lodged and recorded. You have one message. Playing message from Precinct Omega. So, it was supposed to be Friday the 17th of September, but it is in fact Saturday the 18th of December that I'm recording this week's podcast. It's a little later than normal. Most of you will get it on the same day as normal, which is Monday, but for my patrons, they were aware that it was going to be late and they are in the loop on what's going on, so they know why. However, having got that preamble out of the way, my name is Roby Jenkins and this is the Precinct Omega podcast. And this is one of our design weeks, but as I mentioned last week, I've started something new on YouTube. I've started a new series of videos called Game Design Tutor. And so I've kind of moved my design discussions away from the podcast and into the Game Design Tutor episodes. So what I'm going to use these bi-weekly fortnightly episodes for instead of design is to talk about some other aspect of the miniatures war games industry, some of which are going to be things that apply to other games, other parts of our industry, some may even apply even wider than that outside our industry. Um, but I'm going to try and pick some topics that are that I know are interesting to people that I know are contentious that that lead to conversation and discussion and I'm going to try and sort of pick them apart and, and give my perspective and this is the first of those and I am going to be talking about editions today why editions happen how many editions are good how frequently editions should turn out and most importantly I think how we as players should feel about editions and I will of course I should say come to the end and look at it from my perspective as a publisher as to how I do and should feel about editions. But before we get into the meat of things, I'd like to talk about this idea of an edition of something, because it's kind of... It's a familiar idea from anybody who, who reads normal books, but the way we talk about it in the context of a miniatures game is very different to how it's talked about in almost any other area, including other games. So let's first talk about conventional pressed tree books. Okay, so an addition there. An addition there is a version of the book. Um, the book is published, and it has a front cover, and it has a publisher, and it has a font on the inside, a certain number of pages, and it's released as an edition. Now, an edition can go through multiple printings. So people will often talk about seeking out a first edition of something. What they really mean is a first printing of a first edition. A first edition of a book can go through multiple printings. You might print, you know, 100 copies of the first edition. You might print 2,000. You might print 100,000. It doesn't matter. You, you know how many as a publisher you're going to print you print them you send them out you sell them they sell they sell super quickly and there's still demand you print again and that is the second printing or a new imprint of the same edition of the book so it's still a first edition or a second or a third or whatever 
Now, let's say that for whatever reason, however, now you need to make some changes. It's not just doing the same printing over and over again. You're going to have it with a different front cover. Or you're going to change the size of the font slightly. Or you're going to fix some, some typographical errors that were missed. Or maybe some section of the book has come under attack in the public sphere, the author has changed their mind on how they want to present it, and the author and the editor and the publisher have agreed that there's going to be either a section removed or a section replaced, and then it is printed again. That is a new edition. Whether it's got a different front cover, a different publisher, a different text, fixed mistakes, whatever it is, it's a new edition of the book. Often what will happen is a book will have a first printing and that that's all that was intended you know we, we've done 2,000 printings of the first edition they've gone out that's all we planned for then all of a sudden those things sell really well and not just going for a new printing but you might go oh now we're going to do a paperback or oh okay it's done really well well we, we're going to release that again we're just going to make some tweaks to it you know, that's a new edition. When you've made some tweaks, we've changed the cover, and then the, the second edition might be printed in, in vastly greater quantities, or whatever it might be. So that's what we're talking about in conventional book selling, when we're talking about an edition versus a printing. And sometimes you'll see changes in, inside the front cover, say first edition, third imprint, or, or whatever it might be. But when we talk about games, it's slightly different. Now, let's, let's look at board games. These are our sort of familiar tropes. They're close to what we know, but they're not miniatures war games. They're, they're not our sort of core business here at Precinct to Make It. But we look at a board game. When a board game has a second edition, generally what they mean is we didn't expect this game to be super successful, and so we didn't plough a lot of money into making it look really good. All of a sudden, it's won some awards, and people are very excited, and we need to do it again, but now we've got people knocking on our doors from all over the world, from Barnes and & Nobles, and Waterstones, and WH Smith, and whatever it might be. They want a copy, but they want a copy that looks nicer than this one. So we're going to do a new edition of the game. Uh, and then what you'll see is you'll see a new artist, new cover art, new details... Generally speaking, the mechanics of the game don't change in a new edition. It's all aesthetic. There are exceptions, and it may be that they tweak some probabilities here and there, but fundamentally, it's a, whatever edition of Settlers of Catan you buy, it's the same game. You can sit down and play a first edition, a third edition, a fifth edition. It doesn't matter. You know how to play the game. All that matters, all that changes is the artist or the aesthetics of the game that you're playing. Okay, So that's invariably the case in board games. When there's a new edition of a board game, it's because a game that fell out of print has come back into print, or a game that was unexpectedly successful is being pushed out in greater volume, and because of its success or because of the demand for the out-of-print game, they throw a lot more money into making sure that the game looks better and has more more appeal on the shelf, shelf appeal, or table appeal, they call it. Okay, So that's board games. And then we get to miniature war games. And I'm going to roll role-play games in with this, because it kind of started with them, and, and they really 
Roleplay games and miniature war games share a lot when it comes to this issue of editions. So I think the modern culture of editions in roleplay games and miniatures war games can be traced back to Dungeons and Dragons. And to be fair to the guys at TSR, when Dungeons and Dragons D&D first edition was republished in a new edition, um, it, people were still wrestling with what this meant. They they they. They hadn't settled into our modern culture. They were still trying to learn their way into it. Roleplay games were a new thing. They'd kind of blistered off the miniature war games, the historical miniature war games world that had moved into fantasy war games and in the form of a game called Chainmail, and then Chainmail gave birth to Dungeons and & Dragons. And Dungeons & Dragons, of course, exploded as a concept very early on. Um, and... The publishers weren't quite sure what to do with it, where to go with it. Now, those of you who are of my generation may remember that before we got to D&D 2nd Edition, there was like several interim editions. So we had the original white box edition. And then we had a red box and a blue box editions. And then there was something called Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, which was just books. And it's it was that Advanced Dungeons & Dragons set that I first encountered. That was my first collision with, with Dungeons & Dragons, and really with, with role-play games and miniature war games. I met D&D first. And all of that, in principle, was the same edition of the game because the guys publishing it kind of didn't really understand how people wanted to engage with the game. And they had feedback from people and they had their own experience of playing and they had a lot of noise coming at them and they were trying to interpret what they were hearing to produce a product that was going to reach people. Well, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons was so called, not just because they'd had the red box and the blue box and AD&D kind of packed it all together, but because there was also a parallel set of products called basic Dungeons & Dragons. And these, well, I mean, this was the day, the point at which the Choose Your Own Adventure book was starting to become a thing. And it was before the Fantasy Flight books really took Choose Your Own Adventure to the mainstream, but the TSR was publishing their own Choose Your Own Adventure books at the same time as publishing advanced Dungeons and & Dragons. And of course those were nothing like a new edition of the game. They were a classic turn a page, pick a result, turn to a new page. And there was some dice rolling, but it, was, it, it wasn't even close to the mechanics of D&D. So advanced Dungeons & Dragons in many ways was still the first edition of the game. The, the core mechanics were the same as the white box, the blue box, the red box, they were just repackaged in these books. Mainly, I, now I couldn't swear to this, but I believe primarily for tax reasons, because they were starting to get big interest outside the United States and they were wanting to ship and export Dungeons and Dragons all over the world. And there's no VAT charged on books in a lot of countries, whereas a boxed game has VAT charged on it. So if they produced a book instead of a box, they could sell it without VAT applying. 
all across, not, not every country, but lots of countries got reduced rates of VAT. Many other countries got no VAT on books. So I, I don't have a source for that. I don't have anybody who, who can say. That's just my my guess at the time is why they shifted to, to the books rather than the box was because it was taking off internationally and there was a definite tax advantage. Now, there may have been other factors in play, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if that had at least been uh, you know, a consideration in everything that was going on. But where D&D led, inevitably, Games Workshop was going to follow. Now, Games Workshop was set up essentially as a UK reseller of Dungeons & Dragons, and for a long time, that's what they did. But, of course, they built upon that to start developing their own miniatures range, and then people started tapping back into the origins of role-play games, the original uh, fantasy tabletop miniatures war games, and that's what Games Workshop started to make with their first Warhammer set of rules. Now, hardly anybody, by comparison to today's audience, I, I'm going to say hardly anybody played Warhammer. It was a huge success. It was a massive success on the scale that Games Workshop was dealing at the time. You know, their first edition, I think, was even given away free to subscribers or something like that, or, or people who ordered over a certain amount of miniatures got a free rulebook. You know, it really was incredibly basic black and white printing. And at this point, this was the stage at which Dungeons & Dragons had then released second edition AD&D. So the book set was now out in its second edition. And people were so enthusiastic about Warhammer that the Games Workshop guys got back on that horse and said, right, we're going to do a second edition of Warhammer Fantasy Battles. That was the point that I came into Warhammer. Um, and if anybody remembers the picture of the warrior striking forwards with his Warhammer towards the audience, the camera, over the shoulder of, I think, an orc, I can't even remember if it was a two-headed orc. There was a two-headed orc in there somewhere, striking over his shoulder and smashing an orc on the neck. And that was the second edition of Warhammer, the original set of fantasy battle rules that really uh, started to get people's attention. And we're going to see a common theme here, I hasten to add. Um, Warhammer Fantasy Battle, of course, currently is a non-game. It is a dead system. Um, there's a lot of excitement around the forthcoming Warhammer The Old World rules, and I've seen hints coming out of Games Workshop, and I'm, I'm not, this isn't an exclusive, lots of people have seen these, that they're finally going to be tapping into the far eastern regions of the Old World with uh, Cathay and possibly even Nippon, we will see. So Warhammer Fantasy Battle, in its lifetime, went through, I think I'm right in saying, nine editions before Games Workshop finally called it a day, killed off the old world and rebooted it as Age of Sigma. Um, and Age of Sigma, in con you know, with, without any reservations, is a different game, and we'll come to that later in this episode. So nine editions of a game is a lot of editions. And this was the point at which we as wargamers started to see that this idea of a new edition of a wargame, or indeed a roleplay game, was not the same thing as a new edition of a book. You know, somebody who's got the first edition of Warhammer 
can't play the same game against somebody who's got the second edition of Warhammer. They are not the same game. You know, they share aspects. They're still fantasy battle games. They still had pretty much the same stat line. But the rules were not the same. You, you couldn't play them on opposite sides of the same table. And of course, as the game went on, that became more and more true. And it was very much the same in Dungeons & Dragons, that the second edition of the game was very similar to the first edition, but it wasn't the same game. And the third edition even more so. And as we saw these games go through their editions, so we saw that each new edition wasn't really this idea of a new edition in publishing. It was it was a different game, but with the same principles. That's where we were getting to. So it was familiar, it was similar, but not the same. By this point, of course, 40k was on the scene. I think they've just had their ninth edition. And in due course, more games would arrive. And I've had a sort of a look around my bookshelves to try and work out where we're at with some of the major games and their editions. I think War Machine is on its third edition now. Uh, Malifaux is on its third edition. Infinity is on its fourth edition. Age of Sigmar, I remember there being a second edition. Has there been a third edition? I mean, I, I really don't pay that much attention. 40k, as I say, I think ninth edition now, 40k. And then Kill Team, of course, has just landed. Well, that's another question, and we'll come back to that. But what really sort of inspired this episode was Dead Zone. Dead Zone is now on its third edition as well. So Kings of, uh, uh, Kings of War, the other Bantic, is, is on its third edition, I think. And what's their sci-fi one is called Warpath. And I can't remember whether Warpath has reached a second or a third edition. I, I've not played it. Um, so the first question, when we're sort of dealing with this endless cycle of uh, new editions, the first question I want to ask is, at what point does a new edition become a new game? And I, you know, I've already said, I kind of spoiled this, because I said that the one edition can't play an older edition. But at the same time, I, I think if you're a miniatures wargamer, you'll understand what I mean. Even though those, you know, a third edition 40k can't play second edition 40k, they're still kind of the same game. And I picked that example intentionally because third edition was a radical departure from where the second edition of, of 40k had taken the game. And, and there was masses of new and interesting and exciting material for second edition when Games Workshop kind of brought the hammer down and released the third edition and went, no, this is now how we do it. And for those of us that were involved in 40k at the time, it was quite a shake-up. I wouldn't call it a shock, but it was definitely a shake-up. But even though that third edition was a really radical departure from where the second edition had taken the game at the same time, it was still the same game. You know, if somebody who didn't play came and looked at two people playing 2nd edition and two people playing 3rd edition, they would not really know the difference in terms of what was happening on the table. You've still got 
squads of individually based soldiers who move around the table and they roll dice to hit and they roll dice to wound and they roll dice to save, it was all still happening that same way. So even when you've got a radical shift between editions and the editions aren't compatible, it's still fair to say that it is the same game, but there are exceptions. And I think Kill Team is a really good example of this. Kill Team has been through a lot of iterations and a lot of incarnations. And I think it's fair to say that even though they've each been sort of designed around similar principles, well, they've all basically been trying to be 40k but smaller, they have all been quite different games. I mean, you wouldn't mistake the new current edition of Kill Team for the previous edition of Kill Team, and you definitely wouldn't mistake either of those for the very first version that was just a set of rules published in White Dwarf. So, you know, there are cases where the name carries forward, but you wouldn't, you couldn't call Kill Team Kill Team 3rd Edition, or even possibly 4th Edition, I've lost count. It's, it's just a new game that happens to share the name of games that came before it that were completely different games. And, and I think that's reflected in the fact that Games Workshop hasn't messed around. They haven't called it Kill Team 4th Edition. They've just gone, it's Kill Team. There it is. That's the game Kill Team. All those other games called Kill Team, ignore them. They are not a game anymore. It's just this one. And that's really interesting. And I, I think part of the reason that Games Workshop could and did do that is that Kill Team has never been super popular as a system. And I think it's also fair to say that current people working at Games Workshop, whether the previous people I don't know, but the current people working at GW in the design studio don't think that previous editions of Kill Team solved the problem of 40k skirmish. Uh, and this new edition is their attempt to actually do that. Um, so that sort of reflects part of why this... You get new games with the same name, but they're not a new edition. Okay, uh, let's talk about why actual new editions happen. And it would be really easy to be cynical about that question and say money. Um, and because it would be really easy, let's go with that. There are other reasons. I'm going to come to them in a moment, but let's talk about the money side of it. Why do companies release new editions of games? Uh, a big part of it is that a new edition will generate a big upsurge in consumer purchasing. That is just a fact in, in miniature war games. It's not true in other areas of publishing necessarily. It's certainly not necessarily true in board games. Um, people might be anticipating high sales, but they don't release a new edition in order to create new sales. Uh, whereas in roleplay games and miniature war games, you absolutely do. If you can see that interest in a game is starting to slump and it's starting to plateau in terms of sales, a new edition is a terrific strategy to revitalise those sales and revitalise interest. It's a reason to do loads more marketing, it's a reason to get excited about stuff, it's a reason to drum up interest in the community, and it works. Um, you know, people 
don't just buy the new game. People buy whole new armies, whole new miniature sets, whole new collections. Sell off the old lot. Let's buy a new one and get started from scratch all over again for a new edition. It's how people engage with it. Um, so there is definitely a cynical we want to make more money aspect to it. But uh, I, I am fairly confident that that is not all there is to it. And the reason I'm fairly confident is because if it was just about that, then companies like Games Workshop could easily get away with new additions that changed very little in the game, that really were backwards compatible. They just updated the fluff, they update the photography, they make it look nice and shiny and new, but it's not changed. But they do make a point of changing it. Now, again, the cynical brain has to say, is there an element in changing the rules just to make sure it's not backwards compatible? Because when you've got a game like 40k that is, in our business, ubiquitous, if everybody plays it, if everybody wants to keep playing it, they've got to buy into the new edition. You know, it's... It... We're going to talk about the sunk cost fallacy later, but companies understand that that's the mentality. And... and so yes, there, there can be a cynical element of, well, we've got to make it different to make sure that people buy it. I'm sorry if you heard that. My, that's my, my dog having a cough in the background. So yes, it is easy to be cynical and suggest that they may be changing rules purely to encourage people to buy the new edition. I've never been inside the Games Workshop Design Studio. I would like to believe that they don't think their customers are that stupid. I. Anyway, let's take the better side and say that a new edition is also an opportunity to <laughs> fix stuff that isn't working for whatever reason for the producer. So, you know, it's a positive thing if they're creating new rules that give a better gaming experience for the players. Um. Does that always happen, though? Uh, and it has to be said, no. No, it doesn't. There are definitely cases where a new edition has actually created a less good play experience. Um, and examples that spring to mind are 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons. Um, now, there are people out there who think it was great, and, and indeed the best edition of Dungeons & Dragons. They're wrong. 4th um, edition tried to tap into some things that Watsi thought were true about the D&D world, and they were wrong. Fourth edition was a massive mistake. Um, they were trying to break away and distinguish themselves from Pathfinder. Good idea, um, but fourth edition was not how to do it. Fifth edition, by contrast, a vast improvement. Um, I think sixth edition Warhammer 40,000 is famous for being a similar case. Um, that uh, it, it actually created a less good play experience for many players. Um, so I'm sure you've all got your own opinions on new additions that didn't, didn't do what was advertised or didn't do what was expected and disappointed you. But nevertheless, even when they fail, they are at least an opportunity to improve. So that's the sort of the cynical side of it. Let's drill down onto... The, the more 
positive aspects of it. So a new edition responds to demands. Um, and this is part of why Games Workshop's new culture of a better community engagement process is, is a good idea for them. Companies that are smart are listening to their customers and they get feedback from their customers on stuff that works and stuff that doesn't and they should be continuously making notes, trying to improve their product. Thing is, when you've got a printed product like a book, once it's out there, it's out there. You can't, you can't keep reaching over people's shoulders and tweaking it. It's not like a car that you can recall, fix a problem and give it back to the owner. You know, we can't recall copies of our books and make margin notes to fix stuff and then give it back. And, you know, we can do FAQs in errata, and that is a fine thing to do, which everybody, every sort of war game, miniature war game publisher should do, is, is publish errata for their games. Um, but there does come a point where you look at the size and the length of an FAQ and errata document, and you compare it to the size of the rule book, and you go, they, they feel like they're the wrong way around. Um, so... Inevitably, there comes a point when your errata and FAQ have to be addressed more structurally and they need to be taken away and built back into the rulebook and the rules released with all of those issues addressed. Um, and now sometimes you address those simply by building them back into the rules. Sometimes you address them by changing the rules completely, which is great, but it does, of course, then generate its own new family of FAQ and errata. That's how it works. But demand is important and a good publisher will listen to demand and respond to it. The other thing that a new edition should do is respond to changes in the market. Now, for most of us, small independent publishers like myself, yes, it's good to respond to changes in the market, but generally speaking, our games are themselves a response to the market. You know, I... I write my games because I feel like there is a demand for them and that the market isn't serving that demand. So a new edition of my game isn't really going to change in that way. But when you're a big player, and I don't mean Games Workshop level, I just mean, you know, one of those games that's that's spoken about in the same breath. If you're in the War Machine, Kings of War, Malifaux, Infinity, in that kind of vein, then you have a large enough audience that you can start to see how the community culture orbits around that game begins to change. Really good example, let's take Infinity. Infinity First Edition, which almost nobody played, it was practically incomprehensible. Um, but Infinity First Edition was a game for mates to play at a table, having fun, working out the rules, rolling some dice, moving some miniatures, telling a story. And that's all it was. The second edition of the game was published on that same principle. So even though it was a better document, it was more comprehensible, and once Beasts of War released their illustrating videos for it, it blew up, it was still very much written with the assumption that players would be writing their own scenarios. That the player... Two players would meet, they'd come up with a scenario to play, and they'd play through it using the rules in the book. It was a casual, you know, classic beer and pretzels game situation. 
Second edition kicked off and that really launched the game into its third edition because the second edition was okay, it was vast improvement over the first, but it still had a lot of translation issues, it still had a lot of rules that weren't worded very clearly, and the third edition was a really good example of a game that was fundamentally the same game as the second edition, but this is the point at which Corvus Belli responded to the changes in the market, because the market had shifted from being this beer and pretzels make up your own scenario thing to a tournament focus. First, there were tournaments built around something called Yams, yet another mission system that was written um, by an enthusiast, Ian. Um, and then finally, the, the first ITS system, uh, Infinity Tournament System, was published by Corvus Belli themselves towards the end of second edition. And it transformed the culture of how Infinity was played. Now we were talking about no longer was it a beer and pretzels, make up a scenario, have some fun kind of a game. This was a focused tournament game where people had competition brain forefront. And the third edition of the game was an absolute response to that. It was embracing the tournament culture, it was embracing the competition mentality, and it was built around ITS and the assumption that people are going to be playing in a competitive tournament environment. So that's what I mean when I talk about a new edition being a great way to respond to changes in culture. And again, I mean, we've got to go back to 40k because it's had so many editions. Even Warhammer Fantasy Battles, so many editions, they were a respond to the changing culture. And I've talked before about how when miniature war games started, yes, these games like Warhammer and 40k were a huge success. They were a huge success in a tiny market. And that market just grew and changed and, and its expectations moved away from the expectations of people who had started off wanting to just recreate battles from Lord of the Rings um, or Dune or whatever their favourite series was to actually wanting to participate in a narrative around the game and the setting of Warhammer 40,000 and for whom this wasn't just one of a dozen games that they played, this was their principal life's focus, you know, the, People were working, you know, they were working to live, and what they were living was 40k. And, and, you know, that transformed how Games Workshop approached the creation of their game and what it delivered to their people. And, and that drove what new editions looked like. So when people were being brought into the game through the fiction, through the art, through the computer games, so the nature of the art in the rulebook started to change, and you saw more people like Karl Kapinski and Paul Dainton, who have this more photorealist approach to painting, leading on the art production, albeit under the direction of greats like John Blanche. Um, but older artists like, like Ian Miller and others along those lines, you know, they started to move away, drifted away from Games Workshop because their style didn't now fit in with the expectations of a new emerging culture that surrounded the game. 
This is how a new edition responds to its culture. And the last reason that a new edition tends to be good for the community is that a new edition does sustain interest. Now, this kind of ties back into where we began about boosting sales, and it definitely does boost sales. But a new edition is also, it's not just about existing players throwing more money at the game. It's also about setting a point at which new people can get in. Because I think we underestimate as veteran miniature wargamers just how intimidating and overwhelming a miniatures war game looks to an outsider. You know, it looks exciting, they want to paint the miniatures, they want to engage with the, the setting, they, they look forward to building their own table, the whole dice rolling thing looks really exciting, but there's all these books, there's all these rules, there's all this complexity and it's, ah, how, how do I get started in this? And this was so true for Malifaux 2nd edition and Infinity 3rd edition that existing players were hungry for more, but new players just weren't joining the game. And so a new edition was a chance to draw a line to say, no, you know, this, this is as far as we go with this set of rules. Now we're starting from scratch. Now we're all going to be learning again. And although it's not true because it's not a new game, nevertheless, it represents an easier place for new people to come into the hobby. And we as players... Whatever we might feel about the, the, the more cynical motivations behind the companies making miniature war games as to why they release a, a new edition, we ought to be very grateful for a new edition because any hobby that isn't growing is dying. And ours is a hobby that is growing. And one of the reasons it's able to continue to grow is that the key manufacturers in the industry keep releasing new editions. They keep offering step one opportunities for new people to enter the hobby and to engage with it from scratch. So all of that said, what's a good period of time for a new edition to take? And obviously, how long is a piece of string, your mileage may vary, all that kind of stuff. But I've got to say, I think there really is a window. Um, both, I think, Ethically and design-wise, there's got to be a window. You know, and, and I would assume from those designers of Games Works that I've spoken to, there isn't like this idea that as soon as we've put one edition to bed, we start working on the new one. There is always going to be a period before that happens because it's very hard to be still designing content for the edition that's out whilst also building a new edition to come in the future. But there must be a point in a design cycle where a design team or an individual designer or a publisher starts to think, well, it's kind of time for a new edition, but people are still calling out for this extra faction rule book or this campaign book or these additional rules. Do I do that even as I'm working on a new edition that will make all of those obsolete? And it's a decision you're going to make. I'm not going to tell you what's right or what's wrong. But it does mean that there's a period of time you've got to let a game mature before you can even start thinking about a new edition. There's a certain amount of time that a new edition is going to take to compose and prepare. And then there's got to be a period after which the old edition is, is understood to be done. 
So you can't be releasing the Necron Codex in October and then announcing a new edition in December. You know, that's... Games Workshop have done it. It's not right. It's bad. Um, I mean, it still achieves everything that I've said it achieves, but it, it creates bad feeling. And that kind of behaviour was what we used to see in the bad old days. Um, when we had this sense that Games Workshop really wasn't interested in listening to what its community was telling it. That was the kind of stuff we saw. I think, if I remember rightly, that's pretty much what we saw with 7th edition. But the main reason for that was that Games Workshop received so much negative feedback about 6th edition that they basically binned it and started again, if I remember correctly. Anyway, um, I would say three to five years is the short answer. Minimum three years turnover for an edition. Um, and five years is a good period. I think a, a game ought to... A miniatures war game ought to receive a new edition after five years. And once I wouldn't have agreed with that. Not that long ago, I would have said, no, why, don't, why can't you just write a game and that's the game? Why do you have to keep releasing new editions? Well, for all the reasons that I've just explained. But also because games mature particularly after a first edition, it takes a while for it to bed in, for people to decide what they like and what they don't like and what does work and what they doesn't and how they play it. You know, I as a designer have a vision for how I think people are going to play my game, but I'm prepared to be dead wrong. You know, I've said so many times I'm not going to do tournament rules for Zero Dark because no one's going to play it as a tournament game. Well, I mean, maybe they will. Maybe I'll be astonished and it could take off as a tournament game and I'll have to redesign it around that assumption. I don't think that's happening, but it could, in theory. So three to five years, in my opinion, is a good window for a first edition to mature um, and be ready for a second edition. Subsequent editions, in my opinion, ought to take longer. I would say it was more like four to seven years for third editions and beyond. And I think if you're releasing third editions and beyond every three years, there is definitely, in my mind, an element to which you're letting the cash grab concept overwhelm the good sense. Now, there are exceptions. Really good exception came out recently, of course, is Five Pass X From Home. Third edition was just released. I think second edition is only two years old. But the reason for that is because second edition was published by Nordic Weasel, Third edition was published by a completely new publisher, Modiphius Entertainment. They wanted to do a full-on, fully illustrated, full-colour, beautiful, hardback book. And it was an opportunity to add a new load of content and fix a lot of stuff from the second edition. It, I'm not going to tell you that even was wrong to do that or Modiphius was wrong to do that. No, the, the, the fact that it changed publisher, you know, explains and forgives all. In some ways, it's fair to say that the third edition of Five Parsecs from Home to Modiphius is going to be the first. Because for a lot of people, it's their first encounter with it. It's its first time appearing as a mass market production. So maybe three to five years for the fourth edition is what we should expect rather than four to seven. So there we go. Anyway, like I said, your mileage may vary, just my thoughts. As individual wargamers, though, how should we feel? about the release of a new edition. Well, I, I would say there are two feelings we should have about a new edition, two, two emotions we should be drawn towards. First is to see it as an opportunity, if you don't mind me describing that as an emotion. 
um, recognise the opportunity that it is to review your relationship with the game. Um, you know, a new edition has come out, or is about to come out, are you going to continue down that rabbit hole, or is it time to now pull out, leave that game alone for a couple of editions, go and play something else? Is this an opportunity to explore the game space? That is the first thing I would like to see more gamers doing when a new edition is announced. Not to immediately go, hooray, new edition. But if your instinct is, hooray, new edition, can't wait, then it's also an opportunity to reset. And I think lots of gamers do this, which is a new edition is coming out. You look at your existing army. You think, I've been playing this for at least one edition, maybe two. Ah, it's time to retire this. Let's sell it off and do something new. What's going to be fun in the new edition? There's going to be a natural inclination. It's one of the reasons why Games Workshop does its you know, two-player box sets with two different armies. To make people who go, oh, I've got Tau, but the new armies are Space Marines and Necrons. Ooh, they look really pretty. What am I going to do? Is it time to go Primaris? Is it time to pick up these new Necrons? They look really good. You know, this is the kind of mentality that Games Workshop and other publishers say want from us from a new edition. But there's nothing wrong with that. You know, a chance to reset our hobby as new people are joining, isn't it nice to retire what we've been doing and make ourselves beginners on some level? Play an army you've never played before. Try a theme you've never done before. Do some new painting concepts that are, that are outside your comfort zone. This is how we should respond to a new edition. On the other hand, how do players actually tend to respond to a new edition? Um, two ways. Uh, anger is very common. Uh, you often see anger, people saying, oh, they haven't even finished releasing all the codexes and they've announced a new edition. Or, oh, it's only been three years since the last one, this is just a cash grab. Uh, I mean, what can I say about anger? I've explained to you all the positive and beneficial reasons why companies release new editions, beneficial to them, beneficial to us. Yeah, sometimes a cynical cash grab is involved. Which brings me to the other one. Excitement. If players aren't ex uh, angry about a new edition, they're often very excited about a new edition. Um, and I think that is in many ways as irrational as the anger towards the new edition. You know, yes, there are definitely things to be excited about in new editions. New editions tend to mean new miniatures. New miniatures are great. New editions tend to mean new art. That's even better. Um, and particularly for things like 40k, you know, new editions also often means new... Uh, fiction and, and details from the background that are great to get your teeth into if you're into that sort of thing. But I think it would be really good if we as wargamers could, could wind back our obsession with the cult of the new. Not to the point of just eliminating all excitement and being morose about a new edition, but remembering that opportunity to review our relationship with the game that is presented to us by a new edition. Instead of being all excited and yes I can't wait I'm gonna get my pre-order in I'm going full in on this new army. How about just taking a step back for a minute and going mm, do I really want to go further down that rabbit hole? Would it be good to see what else is out there in the gamescape? Now obviously I'd like you to do that because I want people to look at my games but I'm always happy and enthusiastic to talk about all kinds of games. It's one of the great things about this podcast. So, you know, if there's a new edition of your favourite game, use it as a chance to step back. 
Use it as a chance to say, yeah, yeah, maybe I will play it, but this new edition might be a chance for me to try something else. Maybe put this game on hold for a bit and dip into something new. What else has got a new edition coming around? Because a new edition is that line in the sands. Time for us to start something new. Kill Team is out. Dead Zone is out. Infinity Fourth Edition is out. All these things are out there for us to try that are new and interesting, and we should take the opportunity as our games go through their natural life cycles to move around to get a wider experience of the wargaming world. Because you may find that there are games out there that just as good as the one you're playing right now, and some might even be better. Which brings me to the last question about new editions, which is, is a new edition always better than the old one? Now, we've kind of already been through this question to say there are examples of new editions that are not better than the old one. But it's kind of the exception that tests the rule, because by and large, a new edition is an improvement. If a company or a designer has been listening to the feedback from their players, and all the good ones do, you know, a, a new edition will always be an improvement on an old one. But that doesn't mean it's going to be an improvement for you. You've got to remember, if, if a new edition comes through and it's just not what you were hoping for, that doesn't mean the new edition is a bad one. It just means that maybe they're adjusting it for a, the tastes of a majority that no longer includes you. It's not personal, is the thing to take away from that. And, and as we've said, that's when we should see these new editions as a, as a really valuable opportunity, not to throw our teddies out of the pram and get angry and stamp and kick and pout and wish they'd done something different, but to go, hey, Let's just review our relationship. Maybe it's time to take some time apart, see other games, roll some other dice, and then maybe we can come back together again in the future. And with that slightly uncomfortable metaphor, we should call this episode of the Precinct Omega podcast done. I hope you have gained some insight from this episode. I hope you enjoyed this new Take, if you would like to hear more about my thoughts on game design and the process of developing a new game, do please go and check out my game design theory uh, episodes. They're in their own playlist on YouTube, on the Precinct Omega YouTube channel. I would really value your subscriptions, your likes and your comments. As always, thank you very much for coming and listening to or watching this episode of the podcast. And I will speak to you again next week. Warning. Warning. Docking clamps released. Decoupling complete. Thank you for visiting Precinct Omega Star Pharaoh. Safe journeys. Until next time.